Again, uh, my name is Matt Seipel. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Redeemer. And this morning, uh, we'll be continuing uh, our series through the Gospel of John. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to chapter 13, um, I'll remind you or, or bring you up to speed if you weren't here last week uh, that our passage last week was about uh, Judas's betrayal. And it ends with this sort of sobering phrase, uh, and it was night. Now, from the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, light and dark are shown to be competitors, that the light would shine into the darkness uh, and the darkness would not overcome it. And in a similar way, uh, more than once, Jesus mentioned that he is going to work uh, while at his day, that there are 12 hours of sunlight, uh, and that his hour has not yet come. In other words, the, the sun is, is still up. Uh, but what we see with Judas's betrayal, uh, where Judas uh, departs into the night, this actually marks the transition uh, from the dinner with the disciples to their final conversation with Jesus. This is, uh, this is the sunset on Jesus's uh, earthly ministry. So I want you to have that backdrop in mind uh, as we look at these verses. Um, I'll read for us now uh, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. Uh, we do have it printed for you there uh, in, in our bulletin if you don't have a Bible. Uh, let's now give our attention uh, to God's holy, uh, inerrant, and infallible word. This is John 13, beginning in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is God's own word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, for today, we thank you that you would come and meet with us, and we thank you especially uh, for your word. We pray that you'd speak to us now. We pray that you'd press these things uh, down into our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have been married for uh, just a little over uh, 15 years. Uh, before I was married, I, I would say that I, I had a positive view of marriage, uh, but it was, it was somewhat thin. I didn't really know uh, what I was talking about. 
uh, after getting married, I discovered uh, these joys and wonders of having a wife uh, and having a family. I also discovered uh, there were challenges uh, that I could not have anticipated. Uh, Getting married, it changed uh, not just uh, what I thought about marriage, but actually this one relationship ended up changing my whole relationship with the world. Uh, Now I interacted uh, with everyone and everything in a different way because of this one relationship. And there are actually lots of things like this uh, in our lives, things that uh, affect us maybe in a mild way from a distance, but when we get up close to them, uh, they change uh, everything. It's one thing uh, to know that cancer is serious. Uh, It's another thing uh, to have cancer. It's another thing to have a floodlight uh, on your mortality. Uh, That changes the way you look at everything, not just cancer. Uh, It's one thing to acknowledge that a particular war uh, was important uh, to American history. It's another thing altogether uh, to fight in a war yourself. To have friends killed. uh, To be the one who is asked to kill for a cause that you're told uh, is worth it. Well, that that changes your view about everything, not just just history. Well, this morning, uh, as we look at the end of John chapter 13, the question that I want us to consider is, has the cross cross of Jesus Christ affected uh, the way that you see the whole world? Uh, Is the cross just an idea that some people believe and and other people don't? Is it simply uh, the way that you get into heaven? Or have you actually gotten, gotten close enough to it that it becomes this transforming event that affects the way you see and the way that you do everything? Has, has the cross ever actually challenged your view of the world? Are there shades of the death and resurrection of Jesus in all that you do? Or in anything, in anything that you do? Uh, When we get to the end of chapter 13 here, this is the beginning of what people refer to as uh, the farewell discourse that runs all the way through the end of chapter 17. Jesus is almost uh, the only one speaking uh, for about four chapters here. And these eight verses, they serve as a sort of prologue. Uh, They set up all the major themes uh, of that conversation that takes place. And it begins with this phrase, Uh, when he uh, had gone out. Of course, it's referring uh, back to Judas and the previous paragraph. And the point there that I've already mentioned is that Judas's betrayal, it sets the wheels in motion uh, for the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, his arrest, and then the trial, and then his execution. What Jesus uh, introduces here in this prologue is that the cross uh, what, what he is about to endure, set in motion by Judas's betrayal, what he's about to endure, it will change everything. It's not just important, like, like remembering to floss is important. Um, it's so much more uh, than a helpful theological concept. It's so much more even than the fulfillment of prophecy, the cross itself 
it becomes the access point, uh, not only to having a relationship with God, but actually seeing reality as God sees it. It's only, it's only as we grasp what takes place at the cross that we grasp uh, the nature of God, that we grasp what God is doing in history, that we grasp our own place uh, in that history. Uh, the cross is the culmination of the life of Christ, but it's also the lens through which Christ's people uh, learn to truly see. Uh, it's the cure for all our nearsightedness. So as we begin to look at this farewell discourse, uh, I don't want us to miss this. Uh, as one pastor said, that we, we're, we're sort of stepping on holy ground here. Uh, th- these are some of Jesus' uh, most profound words uh, in a most profound occasion. Uh, he's with his close friends, and he, he's on the brink of death. And, and it really should sort of leave us with the sense uh, that, that we have waded in over our heads here. And yet here we are. Uh, this is God's word. Uh, we're, we're going to look at it this morning. And so there's probably nine or ten sermons packed in here. We'll try to just do one. Um, but there's three things, uh, three things I'd like us to look at. Uh, three things I think that the cross transforms for us. Three things that the cross uh, helps us to see uh, clearly. Uh, first, the cross, it changes our understanding of glory. Uh, second, the cross changes our, our understanding of love. And then lastly, the cross changes our understanding of weakness. Okay, so glory, uh, love, and weakness. Uh, first, uh, the cross changes uh, the way uh, we understand glory. In fact, it, it puts God's character on display but it, but it does it in this uh, apparently uh, inglorious uh, manner. We're, we're told in verse 31 that now, that is, now that Judas has gone out, uh, now is the Son of Man glorified. And just in verses uh, 31 and 32 here, the word to glorify is mentioned uh, five times. Uh, it's obviously uh, important here. The disciples might have recalled passages uh, like Isaiah 49, where there's this prophecy about a coming uh, servant, and in him, uh, God would be glorified. Uh, some translations say that God's splendor would be displayed. And of course, outside the New Testament, uh, the term Son of Man was associated uh, with glory. Uh, in Daniel 7, uh, we learn about the Son of Man who's given dominion and glory, uh, and a kingdom. Uh, The disciples here, and really uh, every faithful Jew, uh, they would have looked forward uh, to this glory that Jesus is talking about. Uh, You can imagine the picture that they would have painted in their minds about this one who would come and flex his dominion as he established God's kingdom on earth. Saul struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. What would great David's greater son do to put God's splendor on display? There was a great anticipation 
uh, for this one who would both glorify God and be glorified uh, by him. And that's just what we see here, uh, is the Father and the Son uh, glorify one another. At one level, uh, this is what they've always done from all eternity, but there's something new happening here. It's now that the Son of Man uh, is glorified. Well, in the New Testament, Son of Man uh, is actually almost only associated with suffering. Uh, Jesus, uh, in some ways, lived a whole life of suffering, uh, but it's here as, as he anticipates his finished work on the cross that he knows the Father uh, will glorify him. He will glorify him for his obedience uh, to the mission that they planned together. He'll glorify him because of his finished work, uh, because of the work uh, that he has accomplished. And so in a sense, there's, there's this added glory. Uh, glory upon glory. Uh, glory of an obedient son, the second Adam, who has done all that the first Adam failed to do and undone uh, the curse that he brought on himself and on the world. The son's perfect obedience unto death glorifies the father and the father's acceptance of that obedience glorifies the Son. There's a, a mutual glory that culminates and is put on display in the cross. Well, that might sound a little distant. Um, hopefully it's helpful to know uh, that the disciples had even less information than you have, uh, and they didn't really understand what was going on here either. Uh, they actually... Uh, had no real concept of the darkness that was going to come upon them the following night. And so what Jesus does here, and this is what he does throughout this section, uh, he prepares them uh, for his departure. It's not, it's not explicit here, but earlier in John, he's told the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders uh, that he is going to return uh, to the one who sent him. He's going to go back to his father's house. Uh, later on, he'll even explain to them that it's for their good uh, that he departs. But here, here he only tells them that they cannot come with him. And the reason, uh, the reason they cannot come with him is because his destination, uh, the Father's house, the true holy place, his destination is bound up and, and connected with his path uh, to get there. Uh, they cannot come with him on this path. Uh, you, don't, you don't get out of Egypt without going through the Red Sea, and you don't get into the Promised Land without crossing the Jordan. And, and Jesus has what he calls in another place a baptism of his own, uh, the humiliating execution on the cross, what, what Deuteronomy calls a cursed uh, death, so that even his manner of death uh, would be lowly, and humble. Uh, the cross, uh, the cross was shameful to everyone but Jesus. Uh, this, was, this was nothing uh, like the glory uh, that they had imagined. And when he was gone, they, they would need to remember that everything they found shameful uh, was in fact the greatest display 
of God's glory on earth. It was not wrong for the disciples to want glory. It's not wrong for you uh, to want uh, glory. It was not wrong for them to believe that when the Messiah came, he would satisfy all of their deepest longings that they and their people had held for centuries. That's exactly uh, what he came to do. But it, it is a modern uh, trick. It's a modern lie uh, to equate blessing uh, with leisure. To believe that somehow God's favor is limited to him giving us what we want and when we want it, as though you even know uh, what you want. As though having desires uh, qualified you to determine uh, what is healthy and good. Uh, that, that is the life of a spoiled child. That's a diet of nothing but sugar. But God, uh, God is a good father and he gives us what we need. Uh, the consistent message of the New Testament is that this side of heaven, God's glory in our lives is always preceded by suffering. Uh, even for the Son of Man uh, himself, and if it's true for him, uh, then it must be true for his people. As one pastor uh, put it, the cross was a duel, and Jesus let Satan shoot first. Uh, Jesus passed through death so that he might become the firstborn uh, from the dead, the firstborn among many brothers, and it's to God's glory that the Son was made low uh, for the sake of his people. And so the cross, uh, it challenges our picture of glory here. It challenges the way we get it and what it'll look like uh, this side of heaven. Well, the second thing, uh, the second thing the cross challenges is our understanding of love, uh, both, both our love for one another, uh, but also of God's love. Uh, Jesus tells uh, the disciples in verse 34 that he's giving them a new uh, commandment, that they're to love one another just as I have loved you, he says. Of course, they would have known, they would have known that they were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, uh, mind and strength uh, from Deuteronomy 6 and from Leviticus 19, that every man is to love his brother as he loves himself. It's not, it's not love per se uh, that is new in the new commandment. Uh, what's new here is the standard of love. And that standard uh, is the cross uh, itself. Just as I have loved you, he says, again, anticipating uh, his finished work on the cross where he would give himself away and give away all that was rightfully his for the sake of his people. And so Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we are to walk in love uh, as Christ loved us and gave himself uh, for us. In defining love, uh, by his own actions, uh, Jesus tells us that we are to display a readiness uh, to set aside all self-interest uh, for the sake of one another. 
uh, that everything we do is for our brother's good, even at the expense or or perhaps especially uh, at the expense of our own wants and desires. Uh, This is what it means uh, to love uh, like Jesus loved. It is is not uh, to think well of someone. Uh, It is not simply to appreciate uh, someone, but it is to sacrifice, uh, to count others as more significant uh, than yourself. But the cross here, uh, and this is, this is so important for us to see, uh, the cross here, it is more uh, than our example of love here. Uh, the cross, in fact, it is the source uh, of love here. Um, as Jesus will go on uh, to make very clear in the next few chapters, our love for one another, it is Uh, the love of Jesus. Uh, That all Christian love is founded upon God's love, that it is the love of the Father and the Son overflowing between God's children, as Jesus explains later. It's the love of a new spiritual order of transformed hearts indwelt uh, by God himself. Romans 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 8 of Romans, he says that the Spirit enables a new life and the ability to carry out uh, this law of love. Uh, The point here is that the new commandment uh, is placed uh, in this conversation next to his departure because it depends on it. It's It's only because Jesus died that we can die for one another. Uh, That we can set aside our so-called rights and live uh, for one another's sake. It's only as we live in dependence on Christ's love for us uh, that we're able to love anyone uh, the way that he did. But in in a sort of, I don't know if this caught your attention, but a sort of surprising angle here, Jesus actually doesn't tell us uh, to love the world Of course, he doesn't say that we're not to love the world, uh, but that our love for one another is for the world. It's actually how the world will know uh, that we are Jesus' disciples. Not how they'll know uh, that we're in a certain club. Not how they'll know that we believe a certain set of facts, but how they'll know that we belong to him. In other words, Uh, It's through our love for one another that the world uh, will see his love. As it overflows uh, between us and out from us, not to win the world's admiration, not to win the world's favor, uh, but so that the world could get a glimpse of God's love for sinners. Our love is modeled on and empowered Uh, by the cross, and in turn, it puts the love of the Father and the Son on display. Love uh, is everything. Uh, For the writers of the New Testament, uh, love summarizes every obligation uh, for the Christian. Uh, There is nothing uh, that is greater than love. Uh, To paraphrase Paul, 
Uh, if I have a Hallmark Christmas card and perfect church attendance but have not love, uh, then I am nothing. And so um, to the people of Redeemer, of course, you're all at Redeemer right now, but the people who are members here uh, at Redeemer, people who identify themselves with Redeemer Presbyterian, um, of course, we want this to be a warm and a welcoming uh, community. Uh, for many of you, that's, that's why you're here this morning. So, somewhere along the way, uh, you were really just welcomed into uh, this family. You were taken in as one of our own. And I pray that I pray that, that would continue uh, to be true. I pray that's something we would be known for. Uh, but we need to understand... Um, If you think that you can love the outsider somehow without uh, loving your brothers and sisters here at Redeemer, uh, then you are mistaken. Uh, To keep anyone uh, here in the room at arm's length while attempting to love the world is just a recipe uh, for loving people that you like. Uh, and according to Jesus' definition here, uh, that is no love uh, at all. Uh, our love must begin at home. And if you're here this morning, and, and you, you may be wondering, well, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about, Matt. I haven't, I haven't experienced this warm, welcoming environment uh, that you're talking about. I haven't experienced the kind of love that Jesus talks about here Uh, Well, let me just encourage you this morning not to fall uh, into the trap of bitterness. Uh, The call of Jesus here is not uh, to be loved. Uh, It is not to grasp uh, for the love of others, but to cling uh, to God's love, uh, to rest uh, in the freedom that's been given to you to give yourself away. The cross, it upends our our picture of glory. Uh, The cross itself is both the model and the source of our love for one another in the world. And uh, the last thing, the last thing I want us to see is that cross, it really, it changes our understanding of weakness. Uh, It teaches us both that our own weakness is far greater than we tend uh, to think, but also that Christ's love is greater than our weakness. Peter, apparently urgent to move on from the New Commandment talk, says, but Lord, where are you going? And Jesus, he doesn't really answer him. He's already told them a few times, in fact, that he's going to die and he's going to return to his father. And so here he just repeats, well, Peter, you can't follow me where I'm going. And then he adds, but you will follow afterward. And Peter, he seems bothered. And that's not the answer he was looking for. And he says, well, why not? I will lay down my life for you. Which might suggest that, that Peter does know Jesus is going to die, uh, that he is, he's prepared to match Jesus uh, in his death. Of course, that is to get things 
uh, exactly uh, backwards here. Uh, when I was a kid, um, I used to like to help my dad with whatever he was up to. I would help him carry things. And, you know, looking back, I think I might have been helpful sometimes. Um, but I think a lot of times I was just sort of like filling a slot. I was kind of playing a role. I was like standing where someone who was helpful would stand. Um, but my, you know, my little arms weren't really doing any necessary work. Uh, if we were, you know, carrying some big table or putting the riding lawnmower in the back of the truck. And so every now and then, every now and then my dad uh, would look at me and he'd say, you got it? And he would just let go. Um, and, you know, he could see the expression on my face as I sort of felt the full weight of what I thought we were carrying. Uh, and he sort of drugged me down. Well, Peter here, in his boldness, uh, just to do or say something for his master, you know, he, he not only misjudges uh, what Jesus is up to, but he completely misjudges uh, himself and his own weakness here. Uh, his utter inability to do anything in addition to what only the Son of God can do. Uh, even his own inability to keep his word when the circumstances get more difficult than he anticipated the next day. Uh, now, most of, you, most of you know just enough theology to know that you're not supposed to say you can add anything to Jesus' work. But I want you to think, what, do you, what is happening when we attempt to raise uh, our children without a constant dependence on Christ that is expressed in regular prayer for them and our parenting. I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. Uh, this is to live as though you can carry the weight of the world yourself. And just, just to broaden it out, um, what about when you know that you have sinned, uh, but you do not ask for forgiveness, uh, you do not plead uh, for the mercy of Christ. Instead, you bury it and you say, well, I can do better. And you just double down uh, on your own willpower. Uh, to the extent uh, that you do that, uh, you have no idea uh, how weak you are and how quickly uh, you can fall. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, really, Peter? You think you are going to die for me? No one can do what I have to do. See, where Jesus is going, he has to go alone. In fact, as Peter and the rest of the disciples uh, misunderstand all that Jesus talking, is talking about, he's already alone in his departure. He's sitting with his closest friends, but they don't understand uh, what he's going to do. That only uh, the Son of God uh, can do this work. And so as Jesus, here's what I think is going on. As Jesus raises this issue of Peter's denial, uh, the, the, the focus isn't really on Peter's failure. Uh, we'll get a, plenty of attention to that um, 
a few chapters later in John. The focus here is actually on Christ's commitment to Peter in spite of his failure. The denials, they they just highlight what he means here by afterward. You see, after the cross, after Jesus has submitted his life to the Father, has submitted himself to the judgment uh, that his people deserve, after the work on the cross is finished, the power of sin will be broken and Jesus will overcome all of Peter's weakness. Uh, Jesus, he, he knows what Peter is going to do, but what we see is that he never uh, gives up on him. It's not because he has faith uh, in Peter's ability. It's not because he has uh, any hope in Peter's strength. It is simply because he loves Peter. Uh, he knew what Peter would do, and he marches Uh, toward the cross for his sake. He says, you will not die for me, Peter. I have come to lay down my life for you. Uh, Jesus knows Peter's heart, and he knows your heart. Uh, He knows what you've done. He knows what you will do, uh, things that you haven't even thought of yet. He knows how often uh, we have forgotten him. He knows how little we think about his glory and his love. Uh, But our weakness, our own our own proneness uh, to wander, our own desire to live by sight, our own propensity to grasp for power and respectability, uh, these things, they are no barrier for the good shepherd. He went to the cross because of his love uh, for the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep never stops saying uh, that they are mine. They belong to me. And so do you know Do you know the cross uh, this way? Do you you know that he died so that you might live? That he was arrested and tried as a criminal so that no charges could be brought against you? As we learn, as we learn to see uh, the whole world and our own lives and God himself through the lens of of the cross while we come to see that it is God's glory to cover the sins of his people. He does not need us uh, to be glorious for him, but, but he does tell us that he will make us glorious. Uh, through the work of Jesus on the cross, he is bringing many sons to glory. Let's pray. Father, certainly to talk about the cross, to consider uh, the center of history, uh, the high point of all your promises uh, is certainly to be over our heads. I do pray 
uh, that you would humble us, that you would help us to grasp uh, the significance, uh, not just of the historical event, uh, but of your love for us, uh, that it pleased you to send your Son uh, for our sake. I pray that you'd help us to learn to view you and to view ourselves uh, through all that took place uh, at Calvary. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.